Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 93. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hey there. Today we'll be discussing Farscape, the whole series, in our final episode of the podcast. Oh my gosh. Let's get started. <laughs> Welcome back. Well, listeners, it's been a wild ride. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of stunned that we are sitting here at the end of all our episodes of our giant rewatch of Farscape that has taken place over the last two years. It's kind of surreal, really. Yeah, it definitely feels really surreal. And we would never have been able to do it without everybody that's been listening and reviewing and sending us feedback on Twitter and email. You know, definitely you guys are a lot of big reason why we have finished, been able to finish this. (laughs) (laughs) And stuck it out, really. And even folks who just were listening, like, it's so fantastic that we see people listening to our show. I never would have thought we would have had as many folks as we have had come join us for listening to Farscape, you know, our tiny little sci-fi show that could from almost 20 years ago now, more than 20 years ago now. I know. (laughs) I know. It's amazing. I'm so glad that there are still so many Farscape fans out there, especially since Netflix pulled it down or Netflix USA. I don't know if it's live in some other Mm -hmm. country, but, you know, definitely seeing the other fans out there, it just really makes me feel good. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to do a series wrap show about all the things we loved about the entire series. And we've got some listener comments that we're going to read. And yeah, this is kind of our swan song for for Farscape for the podcast. Yeah. So we wanted to start with a lot of faves. So Taz, (laughs) what is your favorite season? Oh my gosh. I think it's a really close tie between seasons two and three. And... I think I still edge out season two over season three. And I know this is kind of like one of those things that a lot of people are like, oh, no, season three was the best season ever. And season three is amazing. Like, don't get me wrong. I love it. But there's something about uh, season two and some of his rawness that that you have John's whole arc of losing his mind. And it feels like he's finally like anchored in the uncharted territories. You have the progression of his love story with Aaron. You have wild, crazy shenanigans of a crew that's starting to gel, but hasn't, you know, they've gelled a lot at the end of season one, but there's still got that friction going on. So I don't know. I think, I think I kind of have a really soft spot in my heart for season two. How about you? Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I agree with Abed when it comes to seasons two and three. But, you know, I think that when I was rewatching season two, it had more memorable episodes for me. Like it had more stuff that just really hit me where it hurts good. Season three is like flat out fantastic, though. And I think that a lot of shows that have large casts could really learn from what they did in season three with the splitting the cast and how that gave everybody room to have their own plot arcs. Plus, I think season three has some of my favorite episodes, like overall. But yeah, I think season two is just my favorite just because of coherency and the cool episodes. And I don't know, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I think for me also part of it is Season two is where I feel like Farscape really, really dug in and became the show it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. Like, you you get a lot of that at the end of season one. I usually say 
through the looking glass through the end of season one is fantastic. And I, that's really when the show figures itself out. But I feel like season two is when a lot of that really sticks. And I think part of my love for it is that's where me as a first time viewer really, really fell in love with the show was when it was hitting in season two. And of course that carried over into season three, which is still, you know, I think we commented in the season three wrap, there was not a bad episode in that season. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them did amazing things. And that's a real credit to a television series to be able to do that and sustain such quality for a whole season. Yeah. I mean, I think you mentioned season one and I'm actually never going to be one of those fans that ever is like, well, you can skip and then start at X episode pretty much for any TV series. Like I, I apparently people say that for Brooklyn nine, nine that you can skip like the first season and just enter at season two. And I'm like, no, no, you cannot do that. You can't do that with parks and rec either. Like, no. And, um, mostly that's because I'm a completionist, but also I feel like with Farscape, just the arc of the series it really starts in season one. You can't mm -hmm. get away with skipping season one, even the really terrible episodes. I mean, there's maybe like one or two episodes you can <laughs> skip, but at the very beginning of season one. But I, I feel like overall the series just really hit its stride in season two, but that doesn't mean you could ever, you know, yeah. skip season one. No, I agree with that because what the early season one episodes have that really resonate especially in the last half of season one is all the character stuff that they're establishing like Aaron and Dargo they don't like each other end of the season they become really good friends mm -hmm. you know and you have the same thing with John he's the fish out of water he doesn't have the same emotional resonance of who he becomes at the end of season one and then for the rest of the series without seeing him trying to be the classic uh, all-American hero of our usual spacefaring adventures, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you need to see him fumbling around. You need to see him mispronouncing Tavlex and calling them Tavloids and getting <laughs> his crew members really annoyed at him, becoming the E.T. You know, all that stuff that really sets the stage for for the transformation that pays off at the end of season four when he goes back to Earth, mm -hmm. you know? So... I don't remember who it was recently, but someone was like, I need to get someone to Farscape. What are your skip or hit episodes? And it's like, so people were giving them, it's like the usual ones, skip Jeremiah Crichton, skip a bunch of the early ones. And then I was like, but, but there's all this character stuff. <laughs> yeah. Even in the really terrible episodes, there's some really good character stuff that like really hits solid, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way about early Supernatural, that there would be, like, these really awful episodes, but there was always that kernel of, like, character stuff that you would find out. And I feel like that's really true with Farscape as well. So what was your favorite arc, though? Because we've talked about favorite season, so... <laughs> I think my favorite arc of the entire show is Look at the Princess Trilogy. And I think I love it because there's so much going on we are starting to get the expansion of the world, right? We have the Sebastian breakaway colonies and how they interact with the peacekeepers in the Scarran Empire, which is really our introduction to the Scarans all, all together. You have Aaron and John going through stuff in their relationship where they're not committing to each other, they're not quite talking about it, but they both want it and they're starting to talk about it. And you have that incredible self-realization journey that Aaron goes on with uh, Casanova in the, in the desert. And and then you also have this this beginnings of Dargo and Shiana coming together. And through it all, you have this really, really tightly plotted 
sometimes, you know, a little hand-wavy science because it's Farscape. <laughs> uh, but you have Scorpius come in, and you have this whole little arc of John being hunted and John being tired of hunt- being hunted and this the whole coming together of so many of the of the themes of season two, especially with Harvey and with Scorpius and what his life is now as a fugitive that are just right there in the middle of season two. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm going to cheat on this one and I'm going to (laughs) be, I'm going to say John and wormholes because I feel like that's a plot arc that's started in season one and ends in peacekeeper wars in a really satisfying (laughs) way. And I feel like that that's, kind of this arc that drives the show and it isn't always in the forefront, but it's definitely always in the background of this series. Yeah. That I don't think that's cheating at all. It's one of the major, major plot arcs of the entire show. And you're right. It's really cool that they have something that shows up first episode and it's still important in the last episode Mm -hmm. and not in a tired way. It's not like, to be honest, it's not like Gaia's Baltar and Battlestar Galactica. Sorry, I'm name dropping all these other TV shows this episode. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But, you know, like where he can always see six in his mind, you know, and it's like this whole thing where like by the end I was like, could she just not? Could somebody find out about this? This is so stupid and so annoying, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and it, you're right that it changes too because we just have like knowledge of wormholes, and we have this aliens coming in and giving John more knowledge, and then you have Scorpius coming in as a new element, and then you have Harvey. I think the Harvey arc in season two is probably my other favorite arc of mm-hmm. John slowly losing his mind and not knowing what's happening until finally it culminates in Scorpius Harvey taking over his brain, the neural chip taking over his brain. And then in season three, you have John getting the practical knowledge of the wormholes coming in. And then you have season four where it pays off with the Scarens and, you know, the big finale and Peacekeeper Wars. So I think there's a lot to love about the wormhole arc because they do keep it fresh. Yeah, I I really like that you kind of frame it like that because I feel like that's what really gets me about it is that there's just all these different elements and yet they all tie together really cleanly. And even John's death in in Icarus Abides is really contingent on all these different wormhole plots coming together. You know, you've got Harvey involved in that one. You have the Ancients, you have Jack, you have Aaron, you know, you Mm -hmm. have like all these different elements. And then I feel like just the way it all ties together in Peacekeeper Wars just really works for me, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Before we move off of this one, I feel like I need to mention uh, John and Aaron's love story also as Ugh. the overarching season or series arc that I love and adore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I touched on, you know, when I what I love about Look of the Princess is crystallizing some of their love story. But that's the other thing that this show does so incredibly well. You have this incredible tension between the two leads that grows and changes and they grow and they change and they grow into each other, mm-hmm. you know. And John learns how to be a little bit more violent and a little bit more of a warrior because he has to to survive in the uncharted territories and beyond. And Aaron learns to be a little bit more compassionate and come in to meet him emotionally where they are. And I think that's just, it's one of the most beautiful love stories on television, really. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, I think in terms of an arc, it works really well. As a love story, it's just... You know, I hang all other love stories and I always compare them yeah. to, is it John Aaron? Is it yeah. as good as, you know, like, 
dying for each other, killing for each other, loving each other, and also, you know, needing to be needing needing to change who you are. Or not needing mm-hmm. to change who you are, but being willing to change who you are for someone. You know? Yeah. And not in a way that, that is unhealthy. You yeah. Know? I mean, lots of unhealthy stuff happens to John Crichton. Let's put that out there right away. But but yeah, it's it's being the best person that you could be for someone else, kind of mm-hmm. changing. Yeah. And then also, since we're mentioning that, I do want to mention Erin's own character arc, like her Mm -hmm. own growth as a character as like a separate arc. Because on the one hand, you have her starting the series as like, you know, the perfect peacekeeper. And then she ends it as somebody who really has managed to kind of form a coherent idea of what parts of the peacekeeper life, you know, were worthy to her and then what parts she doesn't like. And I think also, you know, her whole arc with her mother and coming to terms with her life. And I think there's just a lot that is really, really enjoyable about her Mm -hmm. plot line. And that I think a lot of other shows can learn from because this growth didn't happen like overnight. It was very incremental and it and it all made sense. You know, it's like watching dominoes fall that, you know, like each change precipitated the next hmm. Yeah, it's this the self realization, this getting to know who she is. It's like getting to know herself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as a person in my 30s, I know myself so much better than I did when I was in my even my early 20s. Right. And I mm-hmm. feel like we're seeing that process happen with Aaron in a really radical way because she has had her entire worldview changed and challenged. And she has to really grapple with what is important to her and who she is at her core when she doesn't have the trappings of everything else of her world that she she used to rely on mm-hmm. when it's just herself. It's like the mo- moment in Buffy, right? <clears throat> Season two, when, mm-hmm. when Angel says, I've taken away everything when what's left, and Buffy says, me. Mm-hmm. Kind of that kind of knowing who you are inside and what you're capable of. Yeah, and I feel like... As much as we talk about John being E.T. and John being the outsider and John kind of being the one that has to learn all this stuff, Aaron also really has to go through that. But unlike John, where, you know, he has this for most of the series, he has this visual of like, if I get home to Earth, you know, like a planet full of Crichtons kind of vision. Mm -hmm. Aaron knows that she can never go back to her old life. Like that is completely gone for her. And so I think that that's what really makes her plot interesting for me also is just this idea of immense, tremendous loss. Yeah. That she has to deal with for the first season, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, especially. And you see echoes of that continuing <clears throat> on, as, especially with her relationship with Crace as he comes mm-hmm. out of the Peacekeepers too and how they relate to each other. Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty amazing what they did with Aaron. And how she yeah. grows. While we're talking about character arcs, do we want to touch on some of the other folks? We got... Yeah, let's do it. Because Dargo is another one that comes to mind of someone who goes through a lot of change throughout the series. Because you remember season one Dargo is like, I'm going to be captain and you're all going to listen to me. And everyone's like, no. And at the end of the <laughs> season, end of season four... In Peacekeeper Wars, you know, he is the captain. He's the one they all turn to, to make those decisions Mm -hmm. for them and to lead them as a group. And it's just this wonderful transformation of Dargo being, you know, only himself and uh, 
impetuous and violent and not thinking things through to who he becomes as a really funny, much more thoughtful, much more in control, big picture kind of guy. And mm-hmm. I just love, I mean, I love Dargo. I just love that the growth that he goes through and how he, especially with Aaron and learning to see her as a friend and even with Rigel, you know, who is let's everyone hates, loves to hate Rigel in the first season. And at the end, he's part of the crew too. And, and there's a big transformation there. Yeah. I think one of the reasons that Dargo had to be the one to be killed off uh, in Peacekeeper Wars was because he really was the one that had the most complete plot arc, the most intimate relationship with John, you know, and his death was the one that was going to hurt the most without being Aaron. Why? I know. No, I know. It really has to do with like that, that arc you're talking about. The fact that he really, you know, got to finish his arc. He is no longer the impetuous guy. He's no longer the guy that, you know, has this really unhealthy relationship with Gianna. He's a guy that has a pretty, you know, healthy adult relationship Mm -hmm. and he's reconciled with his son, Mm -hmm. you know? And as, I mean, as much as obviously we would have wished for more time with Jothi and Dargo. And I think if it had been a series, if it had been a season, you probably would have had several episodes of them together, but yeah, as is, they did get to, you know, kind of get together. The other major plot arc I wanted to touch on was Chiana, mm. you know, going from being oh, this yeah. all about me, you know, what, it, what did John call her at one point? Miss, Miss kiss, kick and kill your way out of it or cry your way yeah. out of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, the, this girl who really has to like be the most independent person she can because she knows that nobody else is going to help her. Mm-hmm to really dealing with her brother leaving her and, you know, finding a family that will take care of her. And then in return, being willing to give to them, being willing to take care of them. Yeah. Without screwing them over. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we've talked about this in some of the episodes, but uh, Dream a Little Dream with uh, when she and Rigel have to save Zan and, uh, you know, really stepping up to be part of the team. Whereas when she first arrived on Moya, she was you know, want it off as soon as possible when things started to go bad. And it's just such Mm -hmm. a really cool thing. And she's one of the most reliable characters by the end. And everyone is like, okay, Chiana's on it. She's going to get the job done. You know, Stark can't handle it. Chiana's there. And I I also really love that she gets a little cool superpower. I mean, Mm -hmm. it has its costs, but I I kind of like that she gets a little bit more of a, you know, we can pull this out because Chiana can, can do the superpower thing. So I don't know. I always love that about her as well. Yeah. And I think that definitely her taking over a lot of Zan, um, not role necessarily, but kind of the things that Zan would have done in terms of talking to Moya directly, interacting with pilot, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I think that all that is really good for her because it just shows again how much she's grown. And that also you don't have to be the kind of mother nature nurturing priestess Mm -hmm. to be nurturing, you know, to be, to take care of others. I don't know. I just, I really liked how Chiana changed over the course of this series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we touched on Rigel. He doesn't have as much of a growth arc, but he, you know, he goes from betraying them to, to being part of them, someone that they care about, want to rescue, keep track of. And, uh, and then we guess we have our, our more subsidiary characters. Uh, one I do want to talk about real quick, though, is Zan, because we lost her mm-hmm. after the first couple episodes of season three. And, but she was really integral to the first two seasons. 
And I think what I love most about Zan and what she did for the show was because she was such an alien alien in terms of what she looked like and that she was a plant and that she had, you know, physiological things going on. And at the same time, filling the role and the trope of the the priestess character and the healer while being mm-hmm. kind of this badass murderer on her, <laughs> in her former life. <laughs> and I really love that dichotomy about her as a character. Mm-hmm. And that, like, as much as she seemed to come fully formed from Zeus's head, (laughs) she also had a lot of growth to do herself. We saw that she had come to that peace that we see in episode one after having years and years and years of being crazy. Or Mm -hmm. not crazy, but, you know, being Struggling with it, yeah. Yeah. And then so when she goes back in the Rhapsody in Blue episode and... It, it really meant a lot because we knew where she came from now. Yeah. You know, we knew that the, this madness was really where she came from to become the peaceful person she was. Yeah. As much as I've said multiple times that I love Naranti and I love what Naranti brought to the show, I think that Zan's presence really was just this kind of counterweight to a lot of the show's more chaotic mm-hmm. and more immoral I want to say (laughs) tendencies yeah well she had a gravitas to her because she was incredibly knowledgeable I mean Jewel kind of filled some of that role the healer type role while being snotty I love Jewel though but yeah and but she brought more of a gravitas to to the ship she was like the adult in the room in a way that the others especially at the beginning were not you know she was the first ally and Mm -hmm. friend that John had on the ship yeah so I, the other one I want to talk a little bit about is Crace. Mm, um, yeah. Because I feel like I loved, in retrospect, I can't remember <laughs> how I felt about Crace. Oh, I hated him the first time I saw him on screen. Yeah. Yeah. But like this time around, I actually found his whole arc really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like he starts off kind of in a similar place to Aaron of being the ultimate peacekeeper captain. And it's like that single moment of losing his brother really sets him on this course that ends with him becoming a more noble and a better person. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? In a really interesting way. And, you know, we can talk about how he's really chomping through scenery in his first, <laughs> you know, season or so. But he does it so well. But, uh, yeah, he does it excellent. And But, you know... By the end of season three, he's become this character that I, I genuinely cared about. Yeah, you know? for sure. And not only that, but a, a man who is willing to sacrifice and one who cared about his ship, raised his ship, loved his ship. And he wouldn't mm-hmm. say it in so many words, but he did love Talon and then willing to sacrifice himself for the bigger picture when when Talon became so sick. And it was just it's uh, that's why those episodes are so powerful, you know. Yeah, I think definitely taking taking that responsibility. Yeah, that's you know, a good way to put because it. like he, you know, as much as like he'd kidnapped a baby. <laughs> on the other hand, this baby clearly had issues, and so he kind of ended up taking responsibility, as in like you know, I I raised the ship, and I'm not gonna mm-hmm. abandon him. I think that's know? why one reason why he's such a fascinating character is he is a very complicated character, more so I think than probably anyone else on the show. Because he doesn't mm-hmm. fit into any one box after the end of season one, right? Mm-hmm. Season one, he's a kind of a one-note villain for you know half the season, and then we find out his backstory, and it's a little bit more complicated. Then Scorpius comes, and it's like, oh, the power structure's changing. And then suddenly season two and three happen, and you're like, what is going on with this guy? 
But even that said, it's not it's not out of nowhere. They really mm-hmm. did a good job of building him and giving him reasons to do things that made sense internally for him and his worldview. They weren't always what our crew wanted, weren't always what the audience wanted, but they made sense for Crace and it really, really paid off. Yeah. I think it's important to compare how Crace came to the Moya crew versus how Scorpius came to the Moya crew in season four, because I feel like Scorpius came to the Moya crew and there always seemed like there was some sort of like nefarious purpose that he had going on. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like he was never there for Crichton. He was never even really there for himself. He always kind of had this like weird, complicated, ugly, Scorpy (laughs) reasoning. And I feel like Crace, as as kind of gross as they sometimes were, you know, again, kidnapping Talon as a baby, like not okay. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, his motivations always made sense to me. And they were always like very clear, mm-hmm. you know, like I am doing this to survive. I am doing this for a greater purpose. I am doing this because I care about Aaron. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I always just found that the longer he was with the crew and the longer he was captain of Talon, like the better person he became. Yeah. Like even better than he was when he was, you know, peacekeeper commando, you know, like perfect shine on his shoes kind of guy. Yeah. Crace is, I just love his entire arc. Yeah. So I think we're just going to, well, let's move on for the moment. Uh, I'm sure we'll hit some of the other characters as we continue on. What was your favorite episode of the series? I kind of already mentioned it, but it's Into the Lion's Den <laughs> in sheep's clothing because so much comes together here. We have John unlocking the wormhole knowledge and literally like transcribing it on his skin, which is like such a good metaphor for that knowledge. We have Crace and Talon, you know, making the ultimate sacrifice in order to save the crew and the universe. We have. Erin kind of confronting her past and confronting her ex-best friend and, you know, her finally realizing that, like, I can, I can put this behind me. I can be a new person. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have so much coming together. You know, we have Scorpius and John finally facing off and we have that amazing moment of the entire command carrier coming <laughs> down around Scorpius's ears as he stands on the stairs in a flood of water. With John just know? staring at him while it's falling apart. And it's just, uh, yeah, I, yeah, that pair of episodes is amazing. And then you have that followed up with a dog with a uh, dog with two bones, which Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I forgot how incredible that episode was until we watched it again. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I was staring at this question because we write these down and I was like, I can't choose. But yeah, if we go with, with season finales, I would also choose Into the Lion's Dead, Wolf with Sheep's Clothing, Dog with Two Bones as the set. For standalone episodes, I don't know. There's so many good standalone episodes. <laughs> I think some of the more emotional ones are some of the ones that I find most memorable, certainly. Um, you mentioned the way we weren't when we were talking about this before, and I, I would also would, would echo the way we weren't, which is Aaron and Pilot, where we mm-hmm. get their backstory. And I love it because we find out so much more about Pilot, and he becomes no longer you know, just his companion to this Leviathan, but he actually had a kind of a dark past in getting to the Leviathan, right? And coming onto board mm-hmm. Moya and being a party to a murder, you know, indirectly, but someone would have filled the shoes, but it was him. And I don't know, that episode is just incredibly powerful to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love the way we weren't. I feel like 
getting to see Pilot as an actual character and not just as kind of the computer voice, kind of like on Star Trek. <laughs> you know, I feel like this is the episode where he genuinely does become more than just like the voice mm-hmm. on Star Trek that is like core meltdown in five minutes. You know? <laughs> and and at the same time, it really complicates Aaron herself. Mm-hmm. Like she was so. She was so much the peacekeeper that she was that she sacrificed or not sacrificed. She gave up her lover. Yeah. And then additionally, it really kind of is interesting because it sets into conflict these two characters that by the end of the series are just such good friends. Yeah. Of of Aaron and Pilot. And then also, I don't know. I, I think that the way we weren't is one of those episodes where it really makes you ask, who is the main character of Farscape? Yeah. Because Erin has such an interesting plot arc and her, her motivations are so interesting. And I mean, yes, it's John. It's John, <laughs> the main character of Farscape. But I think arguably Erin is also, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I also love, I think it also really showcases the, uh, the ensemble nature of the show that makes it really work. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just our main characters, our two main leads who get the really complicated, juicy stuff. Like all the characters get some of that. Maybe not to the same degree as John and even Aaron, but they all get the those little moments that really bring depth to their character. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, Pilot, he was just kind of sitting there, hanging out. And yes, he got afraid and he had emotions, but no, here he's like fully fleshed out and it really does carry through many of his relationships going forward too. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. the other episode I would say is up there among my favorites is actually Kansas. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. When uh, the middle episode of the unrealized reality, Kansas terra firma arc in season four. And I love it because it's back on earth. It's, it's a Farscape kind of moment because it's not the right earth. It's you know in the past and we've got hugely hilarious moments. We've got uh, John confronting his father issues, which are there also another character arc from the very beginning of the first episode that carries through all the way to the end of season four. And I don't know, I just I just love that episode because it brings many of those other arcs that are part of the whole series. The wormholes, John and his father, Earth, you know, it's our own perspective or it's the alien perspective of earth and Halloween mm-hmm. and playing with so many of those Halloween and alien tropes. And I just really love that one a lot too, for those reasons. Yeah. So on to more hilarious, which was your most hated episode back and back and back to the future from what's like episode, what five of the first season with the, I can't even remember what the aliens names were, but they're like related to Luxons and Dargo had like a hard on for the women and the woman was, basically a spy and it was really dumb i did not like that episode i like that episode less than uh any other episode including my three crichtons which i was also terrible and jeremiah crichton which is usually the one reviled by most folks yeah because jeremiah crichton is mine jeremiah crichton is and that was bad (laughs) is is awful this is a lot of really gross racist stuff yeah which is hilarious because like on a show about people in space you would think there couldn't be racism but oh yes there's racism yeah yeah and with back and back back to the future it's the the sexism and the i don't know that part of it really gets to me but yeah jeremiah Mm -hmm. Crichton. the other problem with that one i will give 
the back and back and back to the future went a little bit more credit. It was a little bit more coherent plot wise, but Jeremiah Crichton was just incoherent as an episode. Also <laughs> complete nonsense. <laughs> the only thing we got out of that was that Rigel gets to be a God for a day. And that was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. So which episode hurts the most? Oh my gosh. I think Daimi dichotomy is the one that I think hurts the most. And I don't know why, but just the everything goes terrible for everybody in that episode. And you watch it happen, and you know it's happening before it happens. And it's John losing his mind and becoming clone Scorpius. It's Scorpius showing up. It's Aaron dying. It's, you know, the two of them being so close emotionally, but so far because it's Scorpius and not John. And that one just wrecked me when I watched it again. Like, some of the other ones mm-hmm. that hurt also are really good. Um, the one that comes to mind for that, for me, is Dog with Two Bones. Mm-hmm. But Daimi Dichotomy is just, like, so much worse. <laughs> yeah. For me, anyway. I think, for me, it's Infinite Possibilities, Icarus Abides. Uh, it's the another one. The one where John dies. Because it's, and it's the same thing. It's because it's, like, everything kind of feels like it goes wrong And then this is the first time that John has to become a mass murderer. You know, like we've seen him shoot people before, but John makes the decision to destroy the Scarin command, not command carrier, the Scarin dreadnought, because he can't let that knowledge get out. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's that kind of feeling of like, I don't know, it's just bad. It's just bad. Yeah. So what do you think is your most, most memorable moment from the series among many memorable moments? Okay. Um, it is the giant wormhole at the end of Peacekeeper Wars. Yeah. Like literally every time I think about Farscape now, I think about kind of building that arc towards the end of Peacekeeper Wars. Like everything kind of builds towards this moment of like Scarens and the Peacekeepers in all out war and our little tiny ragtag group of family, you know, crew has to pull something out and John creates this wormhole that just eats an armada, you know? <laughs> yeah. I gotta say that the payoff of the wormhole weapon in Farscape is incredible. Like a lot of shows, you know, you have that mystery, right? Oh, we're gonna go mm-hmm. follow the mystery for however many seasons and then it's like stupid. But mm-hmm. this this is just like it's huge and it pays off and it makes sense and it's stopping a war and it's just yeah, that's that's a worthy one. Yeah. What about you? From Peacekeeper Wars, I just wanted to mention this. Actually, what I usually think of when I think of Peacekeeper Wars is John and Aaron getting married by Stark in the middle of a battle <laughs> and giving birth like two seconds later. And that basically sums up like the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything down to the wire, everything kind of backwards but still kind of pulling it out at the end. And mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know if that's my most memorable moment of the entire show. Honestly, it might be out of their minds with ah, the body swap yeah. episode. I love that episode. And uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Where everyone's playing each other. And that one, that one might be my most memorable. I think, yeah. Like if I had to choose a second, it would be clockwork Nabari mm-hmm. um, because just of everybody kind of, getting mind controlled and of Chiana finding out her brother is alive. And there's just a lot going on in that episode that makes it really memorable for me. And then the other Chiana episode of taking the stone, like both of those are like really memorable for me. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Speaking of memorable, so what do you think makes Farscape Farscape? So for me, and one of the reasons I fell in love with the show in the first place was I think that the puppetry and making aliens alien that are not like person in a mask. That mm-hmm. was one of the first things that drew me to Farscape. And then they let the aliens be alien and weird. Like Xana's a plant. She's going to have photogasms. Rigel is going to have three stomachs and eat everything and be kind of creepy. And also, you know, not part of the crew for a really long time. And mm-hmm. I guess the other thing that, that I think of when I think of Farscape and when I pitch it to other people to watch is it takes science fiction tropes and the ones that, you know, were first shown in Star Trek that you see in other, other shows and Stargate and everything. And then it, it just makes them weird. <laughs> yeah. It turns them, they do the traditional thing and then they go a step further. Right. Mm-hmm. So the body swap episode out of their minds, season two. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they all swap bodies and then they swap again. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a second swap. And then you so it's just like stuff like that, that um, I mean, we talked about a lot of the tropes when we went through all the episodes, but the, those little twists that just that go one little bit further. Mm-hmm. And then this is a, I don't know if this makes it Farscape, but the, one of the other things I really appreciate about the show is that some of the risks they took with storytelling, like, yes, mm-hmm. we have the serialized arc stuff. And I think that's a huge part of it, too. But also, like, you have individual episodes that just kind of do their own thing, like Scratch and Sniff, Mm -hmm. where you have this really awesome storytelling device of John telling Pilot about Last Night in Vegas, and Pilot not believing him, and it's kind of told out of order. Or what's it, a prefect murder, where it's also told out of order, where you get more points of view coming in. Or the Rashomon. Mm -hmm. I mean, most shows do a Rashomon, but, you know, how they did that one with, just the vocabularies and everything that was it's just incredible and and of course revenging angel where they actually make half of it a cartoon while john's in a coma so mm-hmm. it's that kind of storytelling it always delights me when farscape does that yeah i think that you've hit on like a lot of the points that i would definitely agree with i think that for me what really makes farscape farscape is yes the puppetry like the fact that they're using puppets like oh man the fact that you, you know, cry for the puppets Yeah, the fact that they feel like characters, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that that's kind of the problem with a lot of modern sci-fi where they just go straight to everything being CGI is because you can't really see the actors, like, interacting with an actual physical object. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? But for me, what really, really makes Farscape Farscape is kind of this fantastic mix of, like, really epic plotting with, like, the family feeling that I Mm -hmm. completely go for, like, the found family. Oh, yeah. And just because it was allowed to do a lot of serialized storytelling, you know, and we just talked about that in terms of our favorite arcs being like series long arcs, (laughs) you know, that because they were allowed to do that kind of serialized storytelling, it just led to the series feeling epic. It Mm -hmm. led to the series feeling big. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I got to say, like, they hit all the series finales or seasons finales, the three or four arc episodes that were just huge and like blowing stuff up and and having huge stakes and not making it out all the way. Yeah, it really did. It really is an epic show in a lot of ways. And yeah. And the found family. Oh, my heart. I just love all that, too. Yeah, because I feel like it's a really good mix of the both. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, because you have a lot of series that that can do kind of the family feeling. Like, Stargate is a really good example. 
of like where you know you feel like this the Stargate SG one team feels like a family, yeah. and you you get that in terms of how the actors interact with each other. But then in Farscape, you also get this added component of like these just genuinely epic storytelling moments mm-hmm. that you know you can't really get on an on a series that's in any way episodic. You know, yeah, and that's not to say that Farscape doesn't have its episodic moments because it's still filling twenty two episodes a season. I mean, this mm-hmm. is before the days. This, I feel like. Farscape is one of those shows in transition between, you know, the truly episodic Star Trek monster of the week and mm-hmm. even Stargate to a degree. Stargate is also kind of in that transition, though I feel like only mm-hmm. in its later seasons and it doesn't go as far as Farscape did in its serial tell- storytelling. But mm-hmm. where you have episodes that are really critical to the series and how the the big long arc happens and then you have mm-hmm. the individual episodes where you have like... We have bugs on the ship. Let's they're gonna kill us. <laughs> what mm-hmm. are we gonna do about it? Yeah. So speaking of bugs, <laughs> what is your most farscape moment? Oh, I think any time a plan went wrong <laughs> I think that's one of the other things that Farscape is for me. I mean, lots of shows do the same thing. Like the plan goes wrong, but just the epic way that plans went wrong on Farscape was just really great. Like, for instance, you know, there's this little moment in uh, Liars, Guns, and Money when Aaron and John knock out some guards, and they're going to dress up in the guards' outfits, but then they don't have time to swap them out, right? And it's just this little, hilarious little gag in the middle of this chase scene, and this middle of this big epic thing happening, and I think those little moments are really what the Farscape moments are for me, right? Yeah. No, I definitely hear what you're saying. Because I think for me, Farscape moments are kind of broken up into three categories. You have, for example, the like, what the, you know, like the <laughs> what the moments with that you really are able to get because you're using puppets, because it's random, because it's Farscape, because you have episodes like Won't Get Fooled Again, mm. you know, you know, like Rigel peeing explosions, <laughs> you know, you like the bodily ah. fluids. <laughs> Yeah, like the bodily fluids vomit playing a major role in like 90% of episodes. <laughs> uh, not 90%, but in, a, in, you know, in a lot of episodes. Lava's a money splendor thing. It was a major plot point. Mm-hmm. People walking in on other people having sex. Yes. <laughs> you know, like those moments that you don't really get on like a lot of other shows. So you have got moments like that, you know, that are kind of like, ah, what the, you know, and only on Farscape. And then you have like... The other kind of moment you have is like this deeply earned emotional moment, mm-hmm. you know, Zan's death. Oh, yeah. Different Destinations, which is the entire an episode devoted to the aftermath and grief mm-hmm. messing up history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like anytime the crew is faced with the results of their actions, yeah. you know, John looking at the dead body in a bug's life like that, that sort of moment of like these deeply, deeply earned emotional moments and then you also have like the epic kind of space opera moments of Into the Lion's Den, um, Look at the Princess, you know, those kind of like big, you know, space opera moments. Yeah. So I feel like that's kind of what it is for me is like that there's these three kinds of moments and I could choose any one of those and give you examples. Yeah. But I feel like that that's kind of why I love Farscape so much. Yeah. And the deeply black humor that you can get almost immediately contrasted with, as you said, these deeply earned emotional arcs and stories about these, these disparate people coming together and really coming together to care for each other. Yeah. Cause I mean, at a certain point, like the reason they're all, they all continue to be there is because they care about each other. Mm-hmm. They're sticking around because they don't want to abandon each other. Yeah. 
So I think that should wrap up our, our thoughts and feelings about the series. And let's turn to what our listeners thought and felt about the end of the series. So thank you so much for everybody for writing in and letting us know on Twitter, on Gmail, on Tumblr, everywhere else that we are. So we got an email from Robin in the UK, which, hi, nice to meet you. Glad you've been listening. Um, the email was, thanks so much for the wonderful podcast. So many moments from Farscape have stuck with me over the years. Here are three I adore off the top of my head. From Look at the Princess, Crichton's speech about how everyone he knows will be dead if he lives for 80 years as a statue actually made me emotional. Throwing Cameron Diaz and Buffy the Vampire Slayer was perfect John. Even while cracking wise, he is dealing with serious stakes. The scene where Crichton and Scorpius both writhe on the floor from liars, guns, and money was such a perfect action scene. We know John would have no chance in a straight fight, so both are reduced to quivering wrecks as the tension mounts. And finally, Scorpius standing at the top of the stairs as the water floods down the command carrier and the music swells into the <laughs> lion's den. The image of the captain going down with his ship transported into sci-fi universe so perfectly. Thanks again, Robin. Oh my gosh, those are three excellent choices. I've already waxed a little poetic about uh, Look at the Princess and uh, Kay's wax poetic about Into the Lion's Den. But yeah, that scene at the end of Liars, Guns, and Money. Oh my mm. gosh. And you have John singing, trying to distract himself so that he can do it. And it's just like, oh, this perfect moment of, you know what he wants to do. You know what you want him to do, which is kill Scorpius. And he can't. Oh. Mm -hmm. And like, that's when we realize that there's something so major going on, you know, that this is impossible for him. And oh, yeah. Liars, Guns, and Money is such a good one. Yeah, it really is an excellent arc as well. <laughs> if we had more than an hour to talk through this uh, series, it would basically be like, and this episode, and this episode, and this episode. <laughs> and we would basically do the podcast all over again. Yeah, it would definitely be a few hours of us just like being like, didn't you, don't you love when, don't you remember when? <laughs> We also got some comments on Twitter, which were lovely. So I'm just going to read um, a few of them. We had at Neuroclone Harv, which I have been really entertained by replying to you <laughs> because it's been entertaining at, at its finest. He said, um, or she, I'm sorry. <laughs> they said, I'm not known to be prone to sentimentality, but I have enjoyed our limited cycles together. Thanks for the memories. Oh. Thanks, Neuroclone Harv. I got to say that Harvey is still one of my favorite all-time, hands-down, ever, ever and ever of everywhere favorite characters. And yeah, so I'm really grateful to Farscape for giving us Harvey and John and Harvey together in his head. And I'm so glad that Neuroclone Harv is here with us in Twitter space as well. <laughs> yeah and i love how different harvey is from scorpius i feel like that's such a good contrast as well mm -hmm. so we also had carrie at carrie has ghosts she said i love this podcast so much so awesome to hear the love and excitement over one of the best shows ever created each week i'll miss you oh thank you carrie we're going to miss talking with all the folks every week i mean we'll still be around on twitter and stuff but i it might not be quite as <laughs> quite as uh, intense as it has been but yeah we're really happy that you like the podcast it's, it's meant so much for us to have listeners like you telling us that you like our stuff because 
we're kind of talking into a vacuum over Skype. <laughs> so it's really nice to know that everyone is enjoying it. Yeah, I will echo that completely. Jason, who's actually given us a few comments over the over the seasons, says, I'm going to miss you guys so much. You've become a part of my weekly routine and your absence will be missed. Oh, thanks, Jason. Same same thing as before. We really, really appreciate everybody who's who's been listening in and following with us because it's been a really, a really great trip for us. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, I'm going to miss doing this in a lot of ways because it's amazing to be able to talk about something that I love so much mm-hmm. with somebody else who loves it as <laughs> much as I do, you know, and I hope, and like I said, we, we really love this show. So mm-hmm. it's been nice to be able to kind of do something really positive. I mean, um, this show is why we became friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when we, it when we really first is. met, we, we, uh, we basically sat in the Indian restaurant until it closed and talked about Farscape <laughs> for like four hours. I don't remember how long it was, but oh my gosh, it was so long. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this show has meant so much to me in my life. I mean, it's the show that got me into fandom. It's the show that got me into writing fanfic. It's the show that, by writing fanfic, has gotten me my current job in a lot of ways. I love it so much. And it was really formative part of my my high school years and even even onward. I mean, this this rewatch from start to finish with every single episode included, like I've rewatched before, but sometimes I would skip episodes. But it's it's amazing how well it stands up, like because it's puppetry and not CGI. It looks incredible still. You know, there's some stuff that's dated about it. You know, John's jokes don't always make sense, but it is an incredibly incredibly well put together show that still stands the test of time and it still resonates in so many ways because it's a fundamentally simple story you know you've got john Crichton who just wants to go home he becomes a fugitive and he becomes the keeper of this terrible weapon from being used and then you have this love story and then you have this family mm-hmm I will echo all of that, especially becoming friends with you, Taz. <laughs> That's been such a fundamental part of my life for going on 15 years now. Something like that? Mid-aughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, yeah, like, oh my gosh. Yeah, a really long time now because it's been almost 18 years, I guess. Yeah. And so I think that for me, Farscape is just, it, it really taught me how to tell a story and it really taught me how to do characters that aren't perfect but are interesting and how that feels so much more satisfying as a viewer and as a reader than than characters that are perfect all the time mm-hmm. you know and i and i love kind of the messaging of farscape a lot which is you know family and and that you don't have to do right all the time that you know like you can just trying your best like even even if it ends badly you should always try your best kind of thing yeah and yeah i, I don't know this this series is just really <laughs> important to me and you know i think that having done this rewatch I, this is been the first time I've done a full rewatch of the series and not just picked and chosen episodes that I liked or tried to get somebody into it by watching the first few episodes. Oh my gosh, the number of times I've seen the first four episodes. <laughs> Which is so funny because like the first four are not even close to the best episodes. They're not. They're not. But yeah, this is, I, I don't know, I've been really glad to be able to do this and we've been glad to take you along with us. 
Yeah. So we've had a few folks ask like what we're doing next and and Kay's having a baby. <laughs> I'm, you know, like next week. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the time you hear this, uh, she might have a new person in the world. I am, I don't know. I write fanfic for fun. That's what I do. I'm around on the internet. Kay's around on the internet. I'm not really consistent about anything that I post, not like this podcast. So I feel like anyone who wants to follow me is going to be really disappointed because it'll be like half form thoughts about Star Wars and baking. And I don't know. What else do I talk about? Dragon Age. That's the other thing I'm into at the moment. So if you're interested in any of those things, my full handle is Tassos, T-A-S-S-O-S-S-S. Yes, I know. I was 15. Don't judge me. Um, but that's who I am around the internet if you're interested in, in checking in. Yeah, and I am Fry Advocate most other places, so you can feel free. Like Taz said, I'm <laughs> having a baby, so <laughs> I'm probably going to be offline for a little while at least. If we do do anything podcast related, we will definitely drop something in the feed here and probably on the Twitter um, well, and probably on the Tumblr as well, mm-hmm. but for right now, we're, we're just kind of going to go back to focusing on <laughs> our individual lives. Cause I feel like we've both had major, major life changes since we started this podcast. We've each moved house. Uh, you've moved mm-hmm. house twice. I moved house once I got married and you're having a baby. So that's what five major life events that happened over the course of this podcast. <laughs> And most of you have been there with us, so we appreciate the company. (laughs) That also explains sometimes why our audio quality changes randomly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Anyway, so it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this with us. And we are still at Farscape Friday on Twitter, Farscape Friday Podcast at Gmail and Tumblr and Dreamwith. So feel free to contact us because we're still checking those. Yep. And uh, this is our last goodbye. So thank you, thank you, thank you for coming along with us. And uh, we will see you on the next adventure. Bye. Bye. Bye.